Welcome to the Career Deconstructed podcast. This is a conversation with the retired Lieutenant General John Inbum. The General has played a really important role in the development of South Korea as a nation, as a society. He's had tens of thousands of people, men, working under him, serving under him. He was present in 1983 in Rangoon when North Korean terrorists tried to assassinate the South Korean president. Throughout this, he's gained many experiences and he has a fascinating outlook on life. It was a pleasure listening to him, talking to him, learning from him. There's a wealth of knowledge in this man. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This week, the big story has been about BTS and military service. I wrote in my column this weekend that to understand this situation, it, you need to understand a lot of Korean history through uh, Japanese colonization, the division of the peninsula, the, the Cold War that exists, the everything that's gone on. But as a retired military man yourself, what was your take on this issue that's gripped the world, the, 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 the group's decision to fulfill their mandatory military service? Was it a good decision? Is it something you support? Or does soft power and culture and economy, should that take precedent? How do you see this, General? Well, first of all, I uh, really welcomed the announcement that uh, the Pangtansunyeondan BTS will uh, serve in the military and there was a moment when i thought you know uh, i really thank them for this decision but then again i thought this is just they're fulfilling their duty so um it's a thank you to all the men who must do mandatory service in korea having said that 20 30 years ago there was a surplus of males that could actually serve on active duty. So about 50% uh, were conscripted into the military. And if this was a perfect world, the rich and well-educated would be first uh, conscripted and the less fortunate would, would be conscripted, would not be conscripted. But since this is not a perfect world, the opposite happened. And it happens everywhere, even in the United States. Uh, I'm sure even in UK, you're, you're from the UK? Yeah, even, for, even in the UK, I'm sure this, this same phenomena would have happened. But anyway, uh, Korea during those years, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, it was just an accepted fact. What's more uh, disappointing is that people who were in positions of leadership uh, did not fulfill their obligations by sending their sons to uh, active duty either. So mistrust within the society, uh, I believe, was, was uh, present. Um, as times uh, passed, especially now, we don't have the kind of uh, manpower that we used to have. And now nearly 90% of all eligible males must be conscripted. So about 5% can't be conscripted because of medical issues. Another 5% are being exempted because of 
present laws and which allows them to serve in other capacities, which I think needs to be fundamentally changed, especially with uh, what BTS has shown us. I mean, if BTS has to serve, how can we say, you know, other people cannot serve? So unless for conscientious objectors and for those for religious reasons and for medical reasons, I don't see any uh, exemptions that should be allowed anymore in Korea. So I think uh, BTS not only showed a good example by, you know, uh, uh, saying that they will serve, which puts to shame a lot of the po politicians who advocated for their exemption. I say again, puts to shame a lot of these politicians who did that. But again, I think it's a turning point where we need to fundamentally relook at the laws and regulations that we have right now for exemptions. So conscientious objectors, uh, religious objectors, which I guess falls into that, uh, medical reasons, and some merchant marines. Uh, they serve they, they serve a different category, but it's a very difficult uh, uh, service. So except for these reasons, I don't see any exemptions that should be required. Now, give me another minute. I do believe that, you know, for example, BTS, we might have considered them serving after the age of 35. So an extension of the age, which is now, I believe, uh, 29 maximum, could have been extended a little bit more. But uh, in the future, I think we need to relook at the whole uh, policy. It's interesting you men mentioned the politicians. Uh, a lot of people don't do it. I, I believe the last two presidential candidates in the election, neither of those have done it for different reasons. But before we look at exemptions, I just want to ask you about the thank you, General, because when I address the issue of uh, mandatory military service in my in my lectures on contemporary Korean studies at Hanyang University and Seoul Women's University, one of my students only a couple of weeks ago, his name is Juwon, uh, when he raised his hand to speak on this issue of mandatory military service, he said, I, I completed mine and I, I want you, before I say anything, I want you to thank me. And there was that idea of it's a duty and it's not something that he wanted, but it's a feeling that I keep getting and about that issue of thanking and you wanted to thank BTS for choosing to do it as well as acknowledging it's a duty. Could you just perhaps speak a little bit more on that necessity of, of thanks or gratitude or what that means or, or, or how that ties into this national duty, please, General? Yeah, you know, nobody wants to pay taxes, right? <laughs> right. But we do. Yeah, yeah. You know? Nobody wants to serve in the military. I, I take that back. Uh, a few of, of a very few percentile does want to serve. Those are very special people. But the majority don't want to serve in the military. Because unless you serve, you really don't understand how uh, the deprivation that one person must go through during military life. And that kind of deprivation is necessary 
to indoctrinate somebody to kill another person. Now, it's not easy. No, I don't even like uh, killing a chicken. I've never killed a chicken. You know, my limit is uh, swatting a mosquito or a fly. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, because of, <laughs> yeah, great invention. So, you know, um, there's a necessity to indoctrinate these young men and put them in a very isolated condition. And I don't think people really understand how difficult that is unless you serve. So I've had multiple people saying, oh, I served because, you know, I was in an industrial uh, company uh, doing substitute service or I did service as a, uh, a medical person in some lonely island or no, it's different, you know. Uh, no young soldier that I know complains about training of how hard the training was. Uh, when you complete a, a training cycle or an event, a great pride or a uh, confidence uh, rises in your emotions and in your body. But it's not that, that's the hard part. It's the, it's the deprivation and isolation and all the petty, you know, discipline that goes on in the, uh, within the military, uh, in, in, the, in the barracks, what we call barracks life. Mm. And people just don't really understand what kind of, uh, of uh, hardship that is. And then I'm assuming you might have seen the Netflix uh, miniseries, DP. Now, though, those were very extreme examples put into one, uh, one uh, barracks, okay? Mm. But there are those people, in most cases, the instigators were vic victims themselves doing these same things. I mean, really cruel people. It's just amazing. Uh, we try to stop it. We sometimes do. Well, we... We're mostly successful, 90% of the times. Yeah. But that means still 10% get away with it. And, you know, a lot of tragedy that was dramatization in the, in the miniseries happens. So I think, you know, every soldier deserves a thank you for the rest of their lives or their service, especially the ones up on the DMZ, up on the hills, you know, uh, uh, every soldier uh, deserves a big thank you, in my view. Thank you. Do you think with this idea of deprivation, you've, you, you've mentioned the exemptions and there used to be more for, for tattoos and obesity and things like that. With the, the world's lowest fertility rate, the exemptions get hard, but in terms of that deprivation, South Korea is now, it, it, it's a hyper-modern techno wonderland. It's, it, it's not perfect, but it, it, it's very much an advanced country now. And so compared to when it was still developing the 60s, the 70s and 80s, does that deprivation feel harder? Does it feel stronger? I, I think young children or young men, young adults now have a greater sense of individualism. 
uh, a sense of the personal sovereignty and they don't want to do other things. So do you think that that's making the service harder because the deprivation between uh, modern Korean life and the barracks life is greater than what it might have been 20, 30 years ago? Does the deprivation change over time, psychologically perhaps? No, I think it feels the same. Okay. So 50 years ago, the men were hungry. I mean, they were hungry. They were cold and they were eaten up. Every day, you know, flogging for no good reason throughout the military. We don't even know how many men kill themselves. You know, I mean, the level of injustice 50, 60 years ago is something that uh, can't even be imagined right now. So now I can tell you, Dave, may I call you Dave? Okay, Dave. Um, we've solved the eating problem. We've had some scandals last year, but there are 2,000 mess halls in the Korean military. We had maybe, what, 10, 20 of them uh, making these bad uh, examples. That was just bad leadership, you know? But eight, 1,900 of them served their soldiers quite well. So in my view, Eating is no more a problem. I mean, right now in the rock Korean military, uh, I would dare to say that the men eat better than a middle-class family. So that's solved. We now have to 10 men barracks, which used to be 30 people in one barrack. Can you imagine that? No privacy at all. Uh, it, was, it was a nightmare. Uh, but that's what they endured until, I want to say, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, they're going to go to a four-man uh, barracks, but it's going to take another 20 years to do that. But that, that's, that's, that's where we are. Uh, but now, the younger generation, they're accustomed to information, and they're accustomed to a much greater speed. And so I think uh, the Korean military with its old traditions cannot meet the expectations of the new soldier or the young men. So I think we must change. Now, having said that, I really believe that during the initial boot camp phase, maybe one month or two months during the boot camp, they need to have a taste of deprivation uh no warm showers <laughs> uh cold showers 30-man barracks just to give them a taste of oh holy crap i mean this is uh this is this is what could have been you know uh but i feel that in the future uh not only um better barracks conditions but even uh, daily passes are something that is required within the Iraq military because now we can contact everybody. Uh, they can mobilize within a couple of hours and we have the ability to know if something is not right in North Korea. So I think we need to change. 
I have so many questions for you, General. One which I, I really want to get to later would be, how did you survive those conditions of what the military was? You spoke there about the necessity of deprivation, especially during the training period, and the necessity of cold showers and experiencing that. I, I see such a difference in my university students, the ones that have completed their military service and the ones that haven't, the way they, the way they approach me. And they're often 200 centimeters tall or some towering above me, but they say, yes, sir, no, sir, when they're submitting their work and, and things. But what, so what I'm curious about generally is what does that deprivation do? Because we, we don't normally advocate deprivation in modern society. It's normally about, you know, you only YOLO and enjoy yourself and do all this, that kind of punish yourself or go through this is not a common mantra that we hear. What does that deprivation in the boot camp give, provide? What influence does it have? Well, I think the first thing that you gain is the realization that not everybody is as fortunate as you are. You look at the guy next to you, to your left, to your right, in front of you and you and behind of you. And you you realize, gee, you know, my life is not as bad as I thought. Or they realize, gee, my life is pretty good. And so I think one of the best gifts that military life provides to oneself is the realization that I'm a lucky guy. Now, having said that, mm. you might be too young, but in 1978, there was a movie called Superman. Uh, and th this is the original movie. Mm -hmm. And Lex Luthor, uh, I wonder, I can't remember who it was played by, but he's the Gene villain. Gene Wilder. Mm. No, no, not Gene Wilder, uh, Gene Hackman. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lex Luthor says that uh, there's, there are people who read War and Peace and think that it's an adventure. And there are those who read the back of a chocolate bar and discover the secrets of the universe. So what I'm trying to say is, same experience, some young kid will say, holy, now this is the waste of my life. You know, I hate this. I hate the military. I hate the uh, country for the rest of my life. That's one person. The other kid will uh, realize how lucky he is. And um, he will look at his life differently. And, and, and this, this person, a person of, uh, I want to say maybe optimism, will learn to be patient with his life. And I think that's one of the best lessons that a person can, can gain. So if somebody was to say that military life is a waste of your time, it's only a waste of your time because you thought that it was a waste of your time. People who have uh, had a good, you know, they, they were able to find a silver lining in the, in the experience become, I think, better people, uh, better teammates, and uh, you know, a better person. So it's the perspective that you have of the military, of, of, of life. And, it, and this goes up further where 
you know, we, we don't create a, a person in the military. We are given, you know, 18-year-olds or 24-year-olds, and we mold them into soldiers. And in the molding part, we use, you know, deprivation as one tool to do that. And, uh, but, you know, you, it, it, Korean society itself is very competitive. Uh, we, we indoctrinate our kids. We uh, give them knowingly or unknowingly values that they, they bring into the military. And 10, 20 years ago, it was really good because they were already very disciplined uh, young men who came in. Now they're not so disciplined, but still, compared to other societies, I truly believe that the Korean young men are smarter. They're pretty, you know, um, uh, healthy, and uh, it, with some decent leadership, they can do things that uh, that other armies cannot do. So. Uh, the young generation, in my view, is the best in the world. I want to just very briefly echo your, your your praise for some of the Korean young men, because I think they get a bad rap in the media these days. I think there's all sorts of uh, labels and things being placed on them, often to create political division amongst people. But in my experience as well, teaching across the universities, there's not huge problems with um, insolence with drug use with violence they're generally you know studious serious intelligent generally very healthy uh people which is not something that can be said for everywhere in the world when you mentioned this deprivation just perhaps to finish that bts story that we started on do you have any insight on what somebody like Jin might experience and it's all boobaboo and timba tim it, it differs from barracks to barracks and and what kind of service but we know that there have been other celebrities like G-Dragon or Temin. They've gone in the past. Will they sort of get a special flag around them and they get to go in different places? Or how does that work, General? If somebody of that stature goes in, is there a general protocol that's observed or are they just one of the boys? He's a grunt. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. he should be just a grunt. All right. Now, if he goes into a bad climate unit, heaven forbid, some knucklehead, you know, officer or somebody is going to try to give him some extra uh, uh, points or, mm -hmm. or, or treat him differently. This would be a big mistake. Now, I don't think that will happen because of the scrutiny these days for uh, that goes on into the, in, in the military. So it will be very difficult for anybody to give him any kind of special treatment. Uh, and I think uh, this person, Jin, is smart enough to know that it's it's in his best interest not to uh, get any kind of special treatment. And why would he need it anyway? You know, does he need another you know piece of meat for his meal? No, he's going to get it enough beef chicken, pork, and fish that he would ever want, okay? <laughs> so uh, they even have vegetarian meals these days, so it's, it's fine. Um, uh, I would suspect that uh, 
because of all the scrutiny that he and his other fellows will be facing, uh, if everything is the same, uh, he, he will be treated the same. Now, the only concern that I have is the Ministry of Defense said that they will allow the BTS group to have opportunities to conduct uh, uh, entertainment, right? Mm. I hope that was just just you know uh, a passing statement, and they were not serious because I cannot imagine you know the military allowing this kid to dance around while he he's in uniform. That even if that opportunity was given to this group, I, I think they should say, nope, we're not going to do it. Uh, we're going to be good soldiers and uh, uh, do our 18 months and get out as soon as possible. Mm. One of the things I, I, I notice in, in your observations and the way you describe the system as it is and the system as it should be is that focus on equality and that focus on you know this is the rules and this is what you follow and i just perhaps want to ask you about whereas i see a lot of my uh, international students and western students particularly they're focused on elements of um, discrimination regarding race or discrimination regarding sexual orientation whereas in south korea i feel like there is a big focus amongst young people on tabul on on discrimination but it's discrimination in terms of economic or educational, you know, they, they want that fair shot, they want that fair crack of the whip, they want that kind of level playing field. Do you have any observation about the importance of maintaining that element of fairness, of equality amongst people in society, irrespective of um, financial wealth or social position? Is that something, is that a bit too utopian? Is that achievable? Can we all be equal before the law if one of us has 5,000, 500 won and one of us has 500 million won? Yeah, you know, that's that's uh, that's not a military question, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I believe that uh, equality especially under the law, must be the uh, center uh, core principle that binds a society, especially a society like Korea. But the fact of the matter is, people who work harder deserve more, more uh, fruit of their labors, and people who don't do as hard as other people, you know, they get left behind. Having said that, if you're coming from a wealthy family, uh, you get a better opportunity. Some people use that opportunity, some people squander it away. And so this is a situation or question that has been, you know, ever since the Stone Age when people used, uh, gathered together that inequality existed. I believe South Korea is a society that has somehow morphed into where it's actually looks at like uh, it's criminal to be rich. And filthy rich is something that is actually um, uh, that, that, that is prevalent. So I think, you know, rich people uh, 
need to understand that they can't be rich on their own. And people around them need to be happy. And all those bad practices that we used to have, you know, the word kapcher, right? The impolite ways of these people uh, treating uh, you know, people serving them food, which is very stupid because they will spit on their food. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and being so inconsiderate, I think all of that needs to go away. And uh, I think my society is getting you know, better as we go. But at the same time, this uh, misconception that I can have benefits without working for it, I think is very dangerous. Uh, having said that, I know that a percentile in my society has that concept, but still the predominant uh, thinking is you must work hard and you must study hard. You must make a, you know, a, a, you must work hard in order to get results. Is still the basic uh, thinking of Koreans, which I think is the uh, best resource that we have right now. Is that is those uh, kinds of thinking people uh, that we have, especially among our young people. Mm. Completely agree. Uh, I, I I like the way you describe these things, General. It's I, I will try to ask you questions about the military, but I'm also uh, incredibly fascinated about your perspective on life, considering how much you've seen and what you've done. Um, one of the big changes recently has been, and you've spoken about it on your YouTube, is the introduction of mobile phones or their usage into the South Korean military. And this is... Uh, relatively a rather recent addition. South Korea is one of the most wired countries in the world. If you take the subway, you'll often see people just like this on their phones. And there's a there's a push towards an untaxed society. South Korea seems to be going more metaverse than anywhere else in the world. Whether or not that's a good or bad thing, you've spoken about the introduction of mobile phones into the South Korean military. Now, I believe they're allowed to use them like 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. on weeknights. And you've also said that this is helping to reduce elements of improper behavior, of captil, of the use of power, maybe controlling gondes, if we want to go into that language. Could you perhaps give us some insight into this introduction of mobile phones into the barracks in South Korea, how it help, might be solving problems or what effect it's had thus far? Okay, let's just talk about the eight-man barracks, okay? Yeah, okay. This is, this is the most modern barracks, uh, supposed to be uh, the most um, liberal of the, of the barracks. In each of these barracks, you have a TV. Mm. And the guy who controls the remote. Is the... Now, normally, What's the eight guys... He, he's the... Hyung? He... Oh, no. <laughs> Now, whatever he's called, you know, he's yeah. the, he's the head honcho, right? Yeah, yeah. So, normally, what they do these days is all the eight men in in one um, one room is supposed to be just friends, but it's not the case. You know, the Koreans uh, they instantly grade each other. You know, mm -hmm. somebody has to be on the top and so forth. So. Um, 
you go into a barracks after a long day and there are chores. You have to clean your boot. You have to take your, you know, uh, wash your uniform, clean your socks, take a bath, all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to go in and, you know, lie down on your bed. That's that, that ain't going to happen. Now, some people are fast, some people are a little slow. And that's where it gets to, hey, dickhead, you know, get up and do this. Hey, you know. And so uh, it's a very stressful environment. And uh, in the case of uh, DP is a great example. If, if there were cell phones for every soldier in that kind of situation, they could have called somebody without cell phones. Do you know how many public phones are in a 400 man uh, unit? Three. Three is a good number, probably three or five. Mm -hmm. So that means a uh, hundred people will want to use that public phone a day within a span of two hours. Okay, and then it'll be, you know, there'll be a shy guy, you know, A, uh, a, a rough guy, B. A rough guy comes and says, hey, are you still going to be on the phone? You know, and he's going to, and then he's going to borrow the little, you know, phone card and not pay him back. I mean, a thousand uh, inappropriate things can happen. With a cell phone, that's all gone. Okay. So I'm just giving you an example of all the little nuances that guys like you probably can't even imagine happens in a unit. You know, I've seen some really bad leadership. You know, I saw one guy, an officer, he used to tap the public phone because he wanted to know what his soldiers were telling their moms and dads. A dickhead. Yeah, uh, really poor uh, officers, but these these guys exist, and they they brag about it that they were able to tap into the public phone, which by the way is illegal. Mm. Anyway, you know, by having cell phones, it's uh, I believe six to nine thirty. Okay, on weekdays and on weekends they can use it twenty four uh, from Saturday to uh, Sunday. What they're discussing now is uh, soldiers being able to use it during the day from you know eight to whatever uh, or whatever time that they want. It's a little tricky because you know you want your soldiers to be sleeping when it's time to sleep. Mm, you, right. you don't want them to be texting their you know girlfriend at 2 a.m asking her where she is. That's a little dangerous. I mean, that's that's really dangerous. Uh, the, the the military is concerned about a soldier uh, uh, taking photos or or divulging uh, confidential information. That ain't gonna happen. You know, it doesn't happen that way. Mm. They're worried about soldiers using their phones during training, that is also unlikely because if you have a cell phone and you put it in your pocket and it's raining or you have to uh, 
be in the mud. Your phone, your 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 thousand dollar phone is going to get ruined. Nobody's going to do that, you know. And if you're on an operation, then you take out, you know, they're going to take away your phones, which is what everybody does. So uh, I believe that uh, having the ability to have these cell phones really contributes to to uh, to not only morale but uh, uh, preventing unlawful activity. Uh, it's got a lot of benefits. Um, those who who are opposed to cell phones in the barracks are thinking of the old style discipline. You know, yes, sir, no, sir, uh, things like that. Um, That kind of discipline is is not the kind of discipline that we're looking for. We're looking for men who understand why they have to do this. We're looking for men who are convinced that they're doing the right thing you know the people who are against cell phones are probably those who don't want their men to know what the hell is going on and so that's not what we want what what have we seen in ukraine right now we have seen that motivated soldiers like the ukrainians who know why they're fighting are fighting much better than the unmotivated soldiers like the Russians who don't know why the hell they're there. So that's the kind of soldiers that we need to, uh, that's the kind of soldiers that we need. And the only thing is the old style Korean uh, officer corps and the senior NCO corps who just can't adjust to this new circumstances. Well, if that is the case, that they should get out of the military and maybe drive a taxi or something. <laughs> I, I hear we're we're uh, low on taxi drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear yeah. we are. It's yeah. becoming harder and harder. We need, either need twenty-four hour subways or or more taxi drivers because it's very difficult to to get home these days in Seoul. <laughs> I, the more you speak, General, I I have these questions of the difference between discipline and leadership and then abuse you know because i I think it must be a very fine line and i also want to ask you about discipline in your own life like how how you control that but just staying on the military just for this part you mentioned not having a mobile phone in your pocket when you're doing training when you're in the mud that thousand dollar phone gets broken you mentioned that going in as a grunt and what these people are expected to do is to uh, be trained or learn how to kill a man. I'm, I, I'm just curious. I, I don't know how much you can divulge or how much you would. What What does that training actually look like and feel like? And for someone like me that has not done it, or for anybody else listening, you know, are you are you, are you doing laps of a field? Uh, are you standing outside in the rain? Are you, are you doing obstacle courses? Do you do guns? Do you fire guns once a week, once a year, and that's it? Can you just give us an insight into that practical hands-on training, what it's like? Well, training is uh, divided into individual training, unit training, and uh, tactical training, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Physical training, which maintains the body physique, is a good 
25 to 50%, which is a great benefit, you know. Mm. Uh, the rest is uh, getting to know your job. If you're an infantryman, you really need to shoot. You need to be physical fit. And we have seven tasks that a, an infantryman must do, like uh, wear a gas mask, uh, first aid, things like that. Mm. Okay. So we practice and you, you do that. That's how it should be. In reality, because the Korean units uh, lack operational funds, let's say you have a light bulb that's, uh, that's broken. Mm. Who changes that? In a perfect world, you should have a maintenance person doing that, right? Right. If you have a broken staircase, how should that be fixed? In a perfect world, you should be outsourcing that to some construction guy, and he would come and do that. Mm. Well, in Korea, in the Korean military, a lot of that is done by the soldiers themselves. So it eats away from training. Mm. That's and you know, the perfect uh, green fields, the uh, the weeds that have to be picked. Who do you think does that? And it's not the it's not the uh, what do you call it? The the, the, the the weeding company that does that. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of soldiers say, you know, when I was in, in the army, all I did was a lot of work, you know, manual work, digging and shoveling and all that kind of stuff and not many, not much training. So I think now with the lack of soldiers and the shortening of the, uh, the term of service, the Korean military is indeed going to outsourcing. And so now if the light bulb does go out, the soldiers don't do that. They have a, a group of people uh, who, who do things like that. But there are still a lot of work that has to be done by the soldiers themselves. So um, it's not only training that they have to do, but maintaining and the barracks that, that goes around. And so uh, a soldier's life is very monotonous. It's great food, but it's great food every day. <laughs> you know, you, you, there's one thing that I've learned is uh, human beings need variety. Mm. So it's not just enough to feed a person. And, you know, being a military person all my life for 38 years, one thing that I have come out with is the real value of freedom the freedom to do what you want to the freedom to think what you need what you want to as long as you're not hurting somebody else mm. i believe uh freedom of speech freedom to do things uh is fundamentally so precious that I gained a great pride in that I have worked to ensure the freedom of my people. And so, you know, when I see uh, all these demonstrations and all that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with what they're saying 99% of the times, but 100% of the times I agree with their right to express themselves. You know? 
And uh, that's what the military does not allow you to do. You cannot do what you want. You cannot say what you want because we are under stricter laws and regulations. We cannot wear what we want. You know, we have to eat when they tell you to eat. And so all of this is to train the person to conform, to obey orders, to do things that a person will not do or think twice before doing in normal conditions. Because Dave, war is hell. And if people start questioning why they're doing this in war, we're going to lose. If we lose, then there's nothing. So in war, I don't care what the war was about or if there's war, you got to win. And this is the part I feel that right now the rock military is a little bit uh, confused about. Because in the old days, we didn't have to explain all of this. We didn't have to explain this to ourselves. We had our orders. We didn't question it. We just did it. Now, mm -hmm. our younger generation is questioning every order. The older senior generation is, is perplexed. They can't understand why orders are being questioned. And so there's this gap. And a lot of the senior uh, generation, they're just giving up because they can't understand or they don't have the ability to explain why they have to do this crazy thing. Why do, why the hell do we have to march in the rain when if there's war, probably nobody's gonna fight in wartime in, 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 when it's raining, you know, because our night vision goggles don't work or whatever, but that's what we are supposed to be doing. So, so right now, uh, it's a very confusing time in the Korean military, but this is also a very good process. Uh, and at the end of the day, maybe it'll take a year, maybe it'll take 10 years, we'll become a much stronger military. Do you have any insight or advice on the importance of what discipline brings to us or how we can discipline ourselves or how we should discipline ourselves? Well, as a person being a little overweight, I don't think I'm eligible to give other people advice on on, on fried chicken uh, or, or the delicious pastries that we have. Uh, I'm a chocolate guy myself, but uh, I think the important thing is not giving up. You know, some people say at a certain point, ah, you know, I'm going to just give up and, uh, and, and drink what I want, smoke what I want, eat what I want, and do what I want. I think that's uh, irresponsible uh, to oneself. As you know, Dave, we have a serious problem where we are the highest uh, suicide rate in the world. And one of the top concerns in the rock military is to pre prevent suicides. So on an average year, about a hundred soldiers kill themselves, uh, are, are killed 
in during service. Among the hundred, about 60 are from traffic accidents, both in and you know when they're on leave or something. That's about that's lower than the average you know, Korean society. About 20 or 25 are suicides. So we we in the military, we invest a great deal on preventing suicides. And yet we still have 25. So, uh, and then the rest is uh, health reasons or, or accidents of other kinds. So suicide is mainly because people think that their lives are their own, right? They think, oh, it's my life, so I can take it. Well, I don't agree. You know, life is a gift from your parents and uh, your soul is a gift from you know, God. That's what I believe. And what should we do as good human beings when we receive a gift? We don't look at a gift and say, gee, I, this is only 5,000 won, so I'm going to throw it away. This is 5 million won, so I'm going to put it on the... That's, that's not how you should look at a gift. Whatever the gift price is, you, you take care of it and you, you, know, you do your best. And so um, uh, I would say that, you know, being, being in a situation, especially in, in the military, provides you an opportunity to look back at your life at 21 or 22. I mean, how many people have that opportunity? And I think it teaches you, you know, maybe I should lose that five pounds. Hey, maybe I should, well, if that guy can do that, I can do that as well. And so I think um, those kinds of uh, opportunities are given to an individual that he can really self relook at himself and, 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 and exercise and realize I need to be better at you know, losing weight or restraining myself. And I really feel that uh, uh, just having the thought of trying to be, you know, less of a drinker or uh, doing less of this or that or doing more of, of, of something else is, is the important thing and not giving up. And it'll be a fight till the day we die. But, you know, I think that's very important. Something I noticed more and more in these Korean movies where the good guy or, or the, the virtuous guy does choose that path. And I saw it represented in media and it, it did make me you know, wonder why that was happening. Do you have just maybe before we talk about North Korea, do you have any observations about things like JSA, things like DP? Um, what was descendants of the sun? Like the way Korean military is represented in the media, does it make you feel like, yeah, that's pretty good, that's right, or do they get it wrong, or is there a sort of glorification? I'll just make one more point before I ask this, because one of the, the producers that I respect very much, she, she once said to me early on, David, uh, you know, you say whatever you want and everything. Um, be careful about what you say about the military. 
she said that to me in confidence and I remembered it and I respect her very much. And so I, I was always curious about representation in the media. Do you have any uh, observations, General, about how the military is presented across these mediums? So the three examples that you uh, showed, uh, you expressed are very different. JSA, I just glanced through it because it was just too much drama for me. Uh, all the th things that they were portraying is like a fairy tale. I myself, having been a senior member who uh, of the United Nations Military Armistice Commission, the senior member is uh, given um, uh, it's not as strong as oversight, but I do have I did have oversight of the JSA. So and all the things that are in the movie is just baloney. Uh, and I've never seen a North Korean soldier who looks like Lee Byung-hun in my life. So that's it. That's... So, uh, but DP is dramatization, but a lot of it is true. Uh, thing, you know, it, it didn't, it can't happen in just one barracks, but all of those things combined can and did happen. Um, for for descendants of the sun, it was a nice uh, uh, series. I usually don't watch series, but uh, and depiction of military is stupid officers, incompetent officers, uh, great soldiers. Uh, so I, I didn't watch that, but being the commander of the Korean Special Forces. And then my wife really liked the series. And I thought, hey, uh, they actually uh, uh, portrayed the special forces uh, in, a, in a good light. And uh, a lot of it uh, portrayed the intricacies within the rock military. For instance, the uh, mid-level you know, uh, commanders being wimps. Uh, I, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so, uh, so these movies are a little bit different. Um, in every military, and I've served with a lot of other militaries, you have good leaders and you have bad leaders. And I must believe that there are more good leaders than bad leaders but it's always the bad leaders who make up a better story. So that's why, you know, I think these, these movies or, or dramas are focused that way, uh, which, is, which is, I guess, the nature of a, of a movie flick, you know? But uh, in, in, in the Korean military, uh, in, the, in the 50 years ago, there were always these movies where the soldiers were fighting for justice and freedom and all that. They were not scared of getting killed. And well, that's, that ain't true. You know, we're all scared of getting killed, getting blown up. Uh, but then again, it's not as uh, corrupt as you would think. 90%, eh, maybe 80% <laughs> 
are good officers. 20% are really poor officers and, uh, and, and non-coms. And, uh, but, you know, you have to take into account that the Republic of Korea is, what, 75 years old? And it takes a long time for a country to mature. So now we got the cell phone part right, right? We still have to work on uh, a lot more. One of the things that I would like to point out is when I was 40, like you, which is 25 years ago, a lot of Koreans used to spit. And they used to spit every, everywhere. Nowadays, you really can't see that. I, I wish, you know. They would spit everywhere in the streets. Now they don't. You know, that's so I see, I think my society is gradually, you know, evolving into a better society. I would like to see more people, you know, holding doors and saying excuse me and thank you, but uh, you know, I guess it'll take a little bit time, more time mm. to do that. It was, the changes I, I yeah, people the, the spitting and it's incredible how quickly and how much uh, it does change it. And it seems to still be on an upward trajectory is my sense. I, I might not have the best sense, but it seems to be going that way, which can't be said for all uh, societies and civilizations around the world. While you're here, General, I, I, I would love to ask you about North Korea. I know it's perhaps one of the most sensitive subjects uh, in Korean society. Um, we've seen this morning, October 24th, uh, ships firing at each other uh, on the Northern Limit Line. We've seen North Korea with missiles repeatedly uh, sent into the EC uh, over the past few weeks and talk of an upcoming nuclear test. The reason uh, South Korean men serve mandatory military service is because of that armistice, is because the war is still technically you know, it, it hasn't finished. My, my my children and wife currently are above the 38th parallel in Gangwondo in a place called Wontong where, uh, and up there where my brother-in-law works, you, you see the tanks, the helicopters, the barracks all over the place. It's very easy to miss all that in Seoul. Um, and I want to ask you, should we be scared of North Korea? Is North Korea a threat? Uh, is the South Korean military like ready to take that on? Do we do diplomacy with them? It's a very broad question, but you know, there's hardliners and softliners and uh, doves and hawks. And what's your take on on, on Pyongyang, General? Yeah. Well. We don't need to be scared of North Korea or the situation right now. Um, it's unfortunate, but we don't have to be scared. But we do have to be concerned, okay? Uh, tensions are high, which is very unfortunate. Having said that, there's right kind of peace and there's wrong kind of peace. If you're willing to sacrifice your principles to not go to war. For instance, if you have a thug in your neighborhood and you're willing to pay him off, you're willing to you know, let him break the law just so that you will not have to go to war, that is the wrong kind of peace. Because in the end, 
he's going to come to your house and then he's going to demand something that you cannot give. For instance, your children or your wife. The right kind of peace is being able to have certain principles that are non-negotiable. And with those principles intact, you are able to maintain peace and in fact, improve the relationship between your neighbors. So I believe that's the right kind of peace. Unfortunately, right now, we're not seeing either. Uh, the former administration, I think, had the wrong kind of peace. But to a degree, I can understand in order to deal with a country like North Korea, uh, you might have had to give them leeway to do so. But, you know, I drew the line when the two men, the fishermen, were forcefully returned to North Korea. That's when I said, okay, uh, I don't care what the, what the reason was. This is one of the principles that I, as a person, said, hey, hey no, we don't do that. And when they did it, that's when I said, that's the end for me. Right now with the new administration, what they're doing, I don't know if they're ready for the consequences, but what we're seeing now is just one symptom of what they've been doing for the past couple of months. Uh, and so, Dave, Kim Jong-un, this man holds his power through terror and the maintenance of fear, right? If we challenge his authority and he doesn't reply, he's a dead man. He and his family are dead. So what do you expect him to do? No wonder he's firing off missiles and, and, and artillery. So uh, we're in this situation. Uh, I think Kim Jong-un has no other choice but to shoot off missiles and artillery. And he's just daring us to uh, abrogate the uh, comprehensive military agreement of 2018. Uh, today's incident just uh, highlights the very precarious situation we have in the Northern Limit Line. Along the DMZ, at least we have fences that clearly shows which is our territory and their territory. The NLL, there's no, there's no line. There are no, you know, posters. It's just a, it's just sea water over there. So when the North Korean uh, vessel. It was not a military vessel, but it was a sh shipping vessel, according to the reports. When it crossed into our territory, our patrol ship uh, had the duty to tell it to go back. And when they disregarded our message, we fired warning shots. And two hours later, the North Koreans shot some other rounds, showing that they are not going to uh, stand idly by. Now, because it was two hours later, it seems they did their reporting and they got their guidance from higher headquarters. At least they didn't shoot into our territory, which they could have easily done. So there's a message there saying, okay, 
Now we're not going to go to war with you, but uh, we're not going to just let you shoot up things. Uh, you being the South Koreans uh, in those contested waters. So um, I think uh, we need to make sure that we have our principles intact, but at the same time, uh, not to raise tensions that we cannot control. But at the moment, you know, this is just normal business. Uh, we had it good for the past couple of years with the CMA, but maybe it was the wrong kind of piece that we were looking at. Uh, and uh, we're trying to readjust and hopefully uh, you know, we'll be able to do that. But there's no reason to be scared yet. As a human general, and again, you can pass if the question is too much, would you consider sitting down in a room with Chairman Kim Jong-un and talking to him? Is diplomacy the way? Is it something that you think is the way forward? Would you do that? Would you talk to him? Or is that the way that these things should be resolved through human to human, person to person contact? Or is is there something that I'm missing? Yeah, of course. You know? But the precondition is that South Korea, South Korea's security is guaranteed. That is the precondition. Now, you must ask yourself, how do we guarantee South Korean security? Now, if we have a war with North Korea, we're going to win. But at great price. Because <laughs> uh, we're, we're really, you know, Seoul is very close to North Korea. And Wontong is really close and uh, it's going to be a bloody fight it could also be a long fight Looks, look at what's happening in Ukraine because other people get involved so uh, you know it's going to be a costly war and in the end nobody's going to win and nobody's going to lose so the smart thing is not to have war so number one we must guarantee the security of South Korea. Right now, our guarantee is U.S. forces uh, on the Korean Peninsula. U.S. forces on the Korean Peninsula is not about winning a war. It's about preventing a war. There's a deterrence. And sometimes USFK is uh, shaky, right? Because the U.S. president, uh, you know, and you know who I'm talking about, says he wants to pull out U.S. U.S. troops from Korea, and then we have some Koreans who want U.S. forces out of Korea, so that's a little shaky. Another option might be that South Korea have its own nuclear weapons, right? Now, would South Korean nuclear weapons make the Korean Peninsula a safer place? No. Uh, South Korea having nuclear weapons would actually make the Korean Peninsula, in my view, a much more dangerous place. But the whole concept of nuclear weapons for nuclear weapons is mutual assured you know, destruction. strategy. So uh, people need will come to their senses and say, uh, why don't we 
why don't we think about reducing our numbers here? I mean, that should be the, the natural. So number one is making sure that South Korean security is guaranteed. Then I think we can talk to, we should talk to Kim Jong-un and tell him, look, uh, do you know what North Korea wants? Uh, the removal of American troops, isn't it? The 28,000? No, 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 no. And basically, North Korea wants their guarantees for their regime survival. Yeah, yeah. So I say, fine, you can have it. So what is that? It's basically diplomatic relations with the United States. Okay, fine. As long as South Korean security is guaranteed, fine with that. Sanctions relief, go ahead. You know, I don't mind Pyongyang turning into a Singapore. Trump had it wrong when he thought that Kim Jong-un would, would, would want North Korea to be a Singapore. Why the hell would he want that? You know, he, he probably wants Pyongyang to be a Singapore, but not the entire country. So no, give it to him. Uh, but again, South Korean security must be guaranteed. And then, you know, we coexist. And in the end, North Korea is a brittle society that cannot even uh, accept K-pop or BTS. Can you imagine what BTS would do to that society? <laughs> Overnight, Kim Jong-un would be, you know, uh, shoved aside for, by BTS. So there, so I believe that our system would be uh, would be would win in the end. Now the only thing in this in this uh, uh, logic that uh, that 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 really concerns me is North Korean human rights. Mm -hmm. The hundreds of thousands of people who right now are in such inhumane situation that we must uh, we must never forget that the, this fact so i believe you know we do exactly what the germans did uh, pay them off Twenty thousand for a dissident uh, fifty thousand for a dissident family uh, why not i don't care now what will north korea do they'll do exactly what the cubans did in the 80s when carter said <laughs> We will welcome all Cuban dissidents from Cuba. Remember, yeah. uh, Fidel Fidel Castro sent his uh, he emptied his prisons of rapists, thieves, and murderers. So the North Koreans will probably do the same thing. So, but still, I think that's the price the South Korean society must pay, because we will have to answer to our descendants, uh, and a hundred years from now, and they will ask. So what did you do for the North Koreans who are in those gulags? And we must say, well, not only did we pay for them, but we took the scum of their society and did our best to turn them into good people. So anyway, yes, we must talk to Kim Jong-un. I've spoken with Yiso um, Hyun, who is a North Korean member of the Pyongyang elite and she's now doing a master's in Washington and Park Ji-hyun in, in the United Kingdom, uh, the conservative party there. I, I've really enjoyed my human to human contact with, with the people there. And you're right, th there are lives beyond the missiles and we, we do have a duty and obligation, I think, if we believe 
in those values to do do something about it if we bring this towards maybe the final straight general this this conversation um this might seem like a, a very big shift in the Bunuigi, in the atmosphere, but I, I would like to ask you this question, if I can, about YouTube, particularly your YouTube channel, because, man, it's really popular. Millions of views on your videos, and but it, it, it's interesting to see. We've, we've spoken about technology and changes and modern society, but there does seem to be a culture in South Korea about, you know, um, how people are reminiscing, interacting, planning, learning about the military lifestyle, and they're doing it through through YouTube. There is this thing in, in the country called Terry Manjok, vicarious satisfaction, and people do do things online. But I, I noticed looking through the comments on your videos that people were saying that, you know, we can find the real person through these channels. We can actually, you know, avoid media and gossip but we we get that interaction through youtube do you think that you know your youtube channel and others have played a, a positive role in the in the lives of people in the south korean military is it helping and how is it helping yeah i wish i um yeah i want to say that i'm uh contributing and uh, playing a positive role mm. so my YouTube channel has, I believe, 70,000 subscribers. Uh, but it's a success in a different sense. Because my, my uh, videos, uh, some of them did have a couple of million views, but uh, it's, 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 it's not viewed by that many people, maybe two, 3,000, sometimes 10,000 or something. But still, that's not a small number in my view. Uh, I am very careful of what I say or can say because there's a lot of information in this head that with the smart kind of people, they can figure out a a lot of information about the South Korean organization. So I am very conscious of the fact that uh, I cannot or should not uh, say certain things, especially capability uh, or intent of the South Korean defense apparatus. There are many people in the YouTube world uh, who are who talks about you know military equipment and all that but i'm probably the only you know ex-military guy who touches upon it and although it might be the same content it's different if you know what you're listening to mm. so i try to be very careful mm. the reason that i started this was because uh one of my enlisted and this guy was, you know, one of 15,000 men that I commanded. He contacted me and said, sir, you know, I've already always respected you. Uh, I have this ability to uh, edit uh, videos. And I would like for other people to hear what you say. So, you know, 
he he does uh, all of this editing and that so and he and i are not looking for uh we're, we're not looking to be successful youtubers mm. you know our goal is to affect maybe 10 20 you know people especially the younger generation and to uh helping them uh through their journey in this maze that we call life mm. and you know i still remember when i was 20 years old and trying to figure out what the secret of life was <laughs> i thought i knew back then actually <laughs> yeah yeah you, yeah <laughs> see see what see what i mean yeah so um uh, i try to do that so um and and you know uh i i i i i I'm really endeared by the fact that there are 70,000 people who, despite all the dull things that are talked about, they recognize uh, me and they're willing to you know, hear things. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be something that my, my themes are not going to be something that uh, the average person will say, gee, you know, wow, I'm not good looking or I'm not going to be, you know, dancing around. But if you look at even the themes that I choose, if you look, if you listen very carefully, you can realize, okay, among the thousand things that are going around in the world, he's chosen this theme as the most important for this period. And you must say, you must ask yourself, why is he doing that? So I think it takes a certain kind of person to connect and try to listen. And it takes that person to take a little bit more to fully analyze what I'm trying to tell them. Because I can't tell them, look, we're in a bad situation. Get the hell out of here. Mm. <laughs> but uh there will be instances when uh i could be more critical and uh that's when we should really start worrying so you know i've, I've had a i've had comments that support your question which is have i made a positive uh impact and you know one person is a success for me, yeah. and I've had more than one, so I feel very uh, happy and uh, proud of uh, what I've done. I can see the success in the, the responses and the comments that I, I see on your videos, and now I, I feel humbled by the fact that I've probably missed the messages that you were trying to give. And so maybe the messages aren't for me being different, but I will think about them again and, and go back and looking at why your contents. I, I'm suddenly curious about your most recent short that you posted, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which was, uh, I'll let people go and find it for themselves. Go, go check out <laughs> General's YouTube channel. Um, during you gave away your age at one point in this conversation by saying that you were 
20 odd years older than me you've played a really important role in the development of of south korea of this nation protecting it keeping it free helping it develop you've probably seen more than most people you've probably forgotten more than most people have ever seen and, and you said that inside your head is uh, so much information there's still more I want to ask you about at later dates, uh, you know, 1983, 2005, these uh, important events that you've witnessed. What I'd like to ask you if this question general is um, what through all your experiences, what have you learned about life, about humans, about the way we interact with each other, about uh, war, about peace, about love? Are you able to distill some of the things that you've learned and seen into some uh, some observations, some wisdom for us? Can you give us some insight into what's going on? Gee, no that's, a, <laughs> that's a really big question. You know, Dave, in the end, we all have only two choices either to give up or to stick it in there you know and to do your best mm. but i think it's more about not only doing your best but at least trying to do your best because a lot of people don't even try mm. so for me you know i started out as a wimpy kid uh, I was never athletic, you know, uh, uh, I'm not tall. Uh, I wasn't, you know, number one in my class. Uh, uh, seven years old, I was taken to the United States, and it was 1965, Dave. Do you know what 1965 was like in, in New York City? Civil rights movement, wasn't it? Around that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not only that, but it was, you know, just before the Vietnam War mm. was getting started mm. and killing Asians was just a normal thing to do. <laughs> mm. uh, MASH was a hit and Korea was a poor country, you know. Most people, even to this day, they don't, they're not able to differentiate between North and South Korea. But in those days, they couldn't even differentiate between a Chinese and a Japanese and a Korean. So you know, it was very hard. Coming back to Korea was worse. So I realized at a very young age that bigotry and savage people, are, it's not about race, but it's just about good people or bad people. Uh, and you know, I could, I could never have, uh, with my academic credentials could have gone into the Korea Military Academy and I only got accepted second to last <laughs> of the 360 people that uh, that got in because of my English uh, and when I was in the Military Academy I had a really really hard time because I was different <laughs> and uh, it, it was really really different difficult uh when i became a second lieutenant nothing went right and uh, i failed at everything 
<laughs> so I still remember that cold, cold winter night as I was going to sleep in my cold, cold BOQ. And I thought to myself, gee, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not cut out to be a soldier. And then I said to myself, well, maybe tomorrow morning will be better. And then I fell asleep. And the next morning, things started changing. And so now at this stage, I can only say I was lucky. But I think, again, basically, we only have two choices, either to give up or to do our best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is the secret to life, not giving up and doing our best and see what happens. And in the end, no matter what your age or where you are, I hope you are fortunate enough to say that at age 65, which is mine, I, I, I can say to myself, gee, I had a great life because I've tasted the bitterness of life. I've tasted the sweetness of life. Uh, and most of all, I helped a lot of people. So I think it's very important. God's gift to an individual is not where he or she was born, to a rich family or a poor family. That's not, that's not the real gift. The real gift is God letting you know what you are uh, what your aptitude is. If a little kid knows at age seven, he wants to be a great painter, then he is blessed. That's God's blessing. And age seven, I wanted to be a soldier. And a lot of kids at age seven want to be a soldier, but I actually became one and I actually became a general officer. So, uh, you know, that was my greatest blessing from God. And the second blessing is that I figured out what the meaning of life was. And I think everybody needs to define for oneself what happiness is for that person. If it's money, go for it. You know, I think it's stupid, but, you know, <laughs> if, if you think money is, is your God, go for it. Uh, you know, uh, pretty clothes go for it go ahead but for me it was taking care of my men i really really enjoyed doing that i mean i really enjoyed taking care of my men uh and 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 in the when i was a platoon leader at 24 i had 35 men when i was a company commander at 29 i had 130 when i was a battalion commander at 34 I had 450 to 800 men. Uh, when I was a uh, regimental commander at 45, I had about 2,500 men. When I was a division commander, I had 12,000. And I really focused on those who uh, needed my help. And it, it, it's such a great feeling to know that you know people rely on you and 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 and, and, and just taking care of the people 
And in the end, uh, they take care of you. So I would, I would give advice to people that you know, do your best, don't give up, and leave the rest to karma or God or whatever you think is, and be grateful for what you have, and help those people around you. you know, what are you going to do with millions of dollars other than helping other people? And I think uh, uh, that's probably the, the, the lessons that I've learned. And I also believe that there are uh, good people, there are more good people than there are bad, but it's always the bad ones that get in, get us, get the attention. But if everybody was bad, I mean, how could we have the society that we have right now? And, uh, um, but I do, but I am concerned about the things that I see in my country right now, what I see around the world. And so you know, I try to do my best to be a good human being. Uh, but being a human being, I am sometimes very disappointed. That's why I have fought in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. I fully agree with the idea that humans, most humans are good. There's lots of humans that are very good and that the meaning of life is often to be found in other people or in our interactions with other people and, and selfless actions. I think perhaps with your position, having so many men underneath you and uh, perhaps also with education, when we impact the lives of other people, we get to see the fruits of our labor. We get to see people change and develop. We're not making machines or we're not working in this we don't suffer from alienation in that much i guess we see the change if i could just perhaps ask you one last question because you've said so much and i wasn't sure how i could even top what you just said it was amazing but sometimes when students come to see me for sangdam or counseling it's very easy when they know at age seven or when i have them in their early 20s that they want to be a painter they want to be a soldier they want to be into crypto and things like that these days but it's harder i think when more and more young people now don't know what they want to be that guidance that used to be there there used to be more i think guidance from government from society from religion from community there were there were more sort of set paths and now it's like you can be whatever you want be whatever gender you want whatever role you want and that multitude of choice sometimes makes it hard for people they get lost because there is so much do you have any observation on how you find out what you want to do for for some young people today general yeah i'm i'm a practical guy mm. so i tell them look you need to make a living number one <laughs> okay yeah. so make a living as you do this uh hopefully you'll do something that you enjoy and not something that you must do for a living. But um, I tell them, you know, you need to get a job to make a living. Secondly, I tell them, if you're doing a job and making a living, 
try to enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And maybe you'll think, hey, this ain't bad as I thought. And once you reach a certain level, uh, then you can delve into things that you've only fantasized before. You know? So in my case, I was really lucky in uh, enjoying what I did, which was soldiering. Uh, you know, I, I've been shot at. Artillery shells fell on my location. I've seen my own men kill themselves. Uh, it's uh, tra tragedies, hardships, and all these things. Uh, it, it, it really destroys the soul in, 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 in a lot of cases. But uh, I never thought that I would be more than a lieutenant colonel because in all societies, especially in Korea, Unless you're a really great, you know, uh, a right fit in an organization, especially in the rock military, you can't become a general officer. So, you know, my Hubei, they tell me, you know, sir, a guy like you should have ended his career as a lieutenant colonel. It's a it's a miracle you made three star, and I agree with them. You know? So um, I think that in life, uh, I tell them, look, you need a job to make a living. Hopefully, you know, you'll be smart enough to try to enjoy the the job that you have chosen. And maybe in the end, you will think that this is uh, this is right for you but even if you don't uh, you need to be able to have some sort of financial foundation so that you can do something else so for me uh, when I got out as a three-star because I was gonna I prepared to get out as a lieutenant colonel are you familiar with the ranks that's lieutenant colonel colonel one star two star three star so I made five stages more so I was able to have enough uh, uh, fundamentals, you know, knowledge, networking, and all that, that when I retired, uh, I was pretty well off, uh, was able to enjoy my retirement. So I've been retired for six years now. I do a lot of uh, uh, community services. I try to explain about the Rock US Alliance. You know? I try to strengthen the alliance by uh, maintaining my relations with the Korean military as well as the US military here. Um, I have a, a, a specialized group of people who advocate for the common soldiers welfare and equipment. And I also uh, do, do community service with animal rights. 
And my hobby is uh, model building, uh, plastic models. And so I don't have time these days, but I have a really hefty collection of little miniature figures that I enjoy playing with. <laughs> so I'm a really happy guy. Yeah, mo mostly mil military stuff, but I'm a military historian by uh, hobby. So you read or see a military history or an incident, and there are those battles that really move your heart. And when you see that, it's not about victories alone. It's about these great defeats where men fight to the death, where men go into certain death, and yet they do this. It's, it's, it's a phenomena that you can't understand. But when you read about these things, you have to reenact it, you know, either by dressing up as one or, you know, uh, making a model and creating a diorama. So that's what I enjoy. Hopefully within the next couple of years, I will, you know, uh, stop doing all this uh, community service and just stay in my room making these models and uh, doing these reenactments. But again, going back to your question, I would tell them, look, get a job, number one. Yeah. Number two, try to enjoy it. And hopefully, you know, in the end, you will either feel you know, successful at it, whatever that success definition is, but you'll be able to have enough uh, financial foundation so that uh, you can do things in your later life when you retire. Um, another thing that I tell young people is to have as many children as they can, you know, at least five. But, you know, that's a win. How many do you have? Good for you. I used to have two boys, but now I have two men who act like boys so <laughs> that's a really cruel way to answer that question i felt really bad for asking i used to have two boys i, I thought it was going to take a really dark turn <laughs> yeah congratulations on your two men wow <laughs> oh. it was it was Andrew Salmon uh, with his work on uh, Glorious Gloucesters that taught me about ah. uh, beautiful defeats and and that yeah. work. And his work as a military historian, he does a great way of bringing those to life with his storytelling and his uh, his focus on history and, and, and stories. Yeah. Um, General, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope this is the first of many conversations we might have in the future. Uh, online, <laughs> offline, on record, off record. Um, I, I, I've learned so much and I feel there's much more I need to learn. So thank you so much for your, your time, your generosity today. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, uh, I just want to say that uh, we Koreans are able to create a society that can be flexible enough that we can open up to the world and invite uh, expats and foreigners to live in our country and they are able to feel comfortable in this country. Uh, we Koreans, I think, have changed a great deal. And so 
it would be a pity for this country to go to war. So let's prevent that from happening as much as possible. Thank you again. Thank you. I'll cut it there, General. Thank you very much. That was... Okay. Have a great day. You too, sir. Thank you very much. I hope to see you soon.